Welcome to this week's CTO Studio. We talk to Sonia Steinway, co-founder of Outside Financial. We get way deep into dealerships and car buying, Apple Watches at 7-Elevens, and you need to listen to this. I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It looks something like this. Welcome to the CTO Studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruin. The CTO Studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Sonia, yes. Robert, Brandt, hey. welcome to the CTO Studio. Thank you. Welcome. Thank Happy you. Happy to be here. It's one whole week later. How do you guys feel? I'm flies. Well rested. See, it's colder today. You're wearing a sweatshirt. <laughs> this is just becoming, you know, my home away from home. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it so much. Uh -oh. It took us almost a week to convince Sonia to join us. So thank you. I appreciate it. I'm a little scared of tech folks, I have to say. So scared okay. as okay. scared, scared. Tech folks are scared. Well, actually, Code is scary. I, I don't think you consider yourself a tech no, folk. No, no, I'm sort of a fake tech. Oh, okay, yeah. He's more I'm, about, I'm all about the fake. He's more about the product and innovation. We're more of the scary kind. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm not that scary. Come on. <laughs> You're not that scary. When I see you, I want to hug you. I get that a lot. So, Sonia, tell us about outside financial. Absolutely. So, we help car buyers and owners understand their financing options and connect to the right lender. Most of us hate car buying because it's a painful, slow, frustrating process, and you feel like you're getting taken advantage of. Well, it's because you're getting taken advantage of in the dealer's back office. Dealers actually make more money selling you financing on a car than they do selling you a car. And so we want to help folks understand what they need to do, give them the tools they need to make the right decisions, and then connect them with the lender outside the dealership. Is so it better to lease a car or buy a car? You know, for everybody, it totally depends. Our car buyers are typically those without great credit, and so leasing isn't even an option. But even if you have great credit, you know, it really depends. If you're going to flip your car in three years and you're not going to put a ton of miles on it or wear and tear, leasing might work for you. Uh, but, you know, if you've got kids that are going to spill Cheerios all over the back seat or you're driving from San Diego to L.A. every week, leasing may not work. So at the end, I think, you know, Sonia just gave a great description of her company, I think. I have this feeling that you went to something really self-serving right you're right, 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 right off the bat. Are, are you in the market for a lease or a car? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Thank you, Brad. Like, I don't care about what you do. I just want to get my stupid-ass question answered. Check yourself there, okay? Sorry. Just come on. Sorry. No, it's fine. I love, I love car buyers. So are you in the market? I am. Uh-huh. Uh, we just recently crashed our Prius. Ooh, I'm sorry. And we, I'm having a surprisingly hard time buying a new car so let's talk about it what are you looking for are you looking for another prius something more personally focused? personally i would like to buy a tesla model 3 okay only because or let me put it this way i want to buy an electric vehicle so it doesn't have to be a tesla but i do love the idea of not putting gas in my vehicle okay and how many miles do you typically drive a year Twenty-two thousand. a year Okay, so for most leases, the max you're going to get is 15, 10 to 12. Right. Yeah, so that's that's going to make it tough. Can I use outside? Because my credit's not great. Uh, unfortunately, so we're not in the state of California right now. We can't help lenders in the state of California. Or we don't match customers with lenders in the state of California right now. Uh, we're in 10 states on the East Coast. But happy to help you think about your okay. options. So, so enough about me. 
what 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 made you so what made you decide as a founder that this was the problem you wanted to solve and, and give us a bit of that backstory yeah absolutely so i'm actually an attorney uh, and my background is in consumer finance and financial regulation so i was in the fall of 2016 trying to figure out do i go work for a regulator you know how can i actually help people because my passion is really helping people understand their finances and their financial options and, you know, I don't know if you remember fall of 2016, what was going on politically, but it did not seem like the right time to go work for a regulated agency. Um, and also, I was watching as all of these great fintech players were really changing the, the game for people in their finances. So almost everybody now has a smartphone, kind of no matter where you are on the income or credit spectrum. And if you've got the ability, you know, in your hand to smooth out your income or to save on your bills or just to understand your options that's so powerful and so i thought well it would be really cool to you know see where i could play what help i could do um i met my co-founder who had had the idea to start something in auto finance he had noticed this kind of huge trend where over time car dealers used to make all their money selling you cars right and this financing was sort of incidental to that as the true car and others on the internet started to give you price transparency, tell you what you should pay for a car. Dealers started to make much less on that front end and they made it up in this back end, right? So we're watching this trend go down, this trend go up. And most people just don't understand. They don't know that the dealer is actually marking up their loan at all, right? Let alone by how much. There's no legal requirements or disclosures here. So as an attorney, it's also sort of fascinating to me, the mortgage market is completely regulated by Dodd-Frank, right? A mortgage lender can't give you a mortgage if you, unless you can sort of prove that you can afford to pay it back, right? Nothing like that exists in auto finance. Dodd-Frank specifically carves out dealers. So it's sort of this like half of me that is consumer focused and wanting to help is thinking, geez, cars are the second biggest purchase most of us make. For people with uh, lower income, lower credit, maybe the biggest purchase they ever make. Absolutely critical to get to work, get the kids to school. And then the other half of this is this like weird regulatory sphere where there's no federal regulation and there's just patchworks of state regulation, but a lot of it actually protects the dealer, not the consumer. So it felt like, wow, here's this opportunity to do something completely different that's not being done and actually help folks with this really critical purchase. So that's really cool. I was going to ask you about all of the the dealer services that have come online now, Edmunds.com and AutoTrader, mm -hmm. and you mentioned True, True Car. True Car. Um, and so that actually, I I think has been fairly successful in reducing the amount of stress it, it takes to go onto uh, onto the lots. Mm -hmm. um, but I hadn't really thought about the the finance angle part of it and the fact that there's been this trend towards that's where they're going to make the money. Yeah. So that's uh, um, so. Is there a a process there that it's sort of independent any of of any of those uh, uh, companies that we. We just mentioned Edmunds.com and all of those. Are, are you tied into whatever they're doing in the financing side, or or can they can they go use all of those services and then come to you, or what's the? Yeah, for sure they could. So the Edmunds and TrueCar and um, CarGurus of the world, right? They're essentially their model is they're making money as lead generators to a dealer. So you know, yes, the car buyer is their customer, but the dealer is also their customer. That's who's really paying the bill. Um, they funnel you toward what's called indirect financing. So there's two primary ways you could pay for a car if you're going to get a loan to pay for a car. One is indirect. That means it actually goes through the dealer. The dealer is really the lender for that moment, sells it off to the lender. The other is direct financing, meaning there's no dealer in the middle of that transaction. Um, indirect has historically been a much bigger part of the market. Most people just go into the dealer, dealer gets them the loan. 
that actually has twice the delinquency rate as direct loans. So direct lending is actually better for customers, better for lenders, but it's it's a small piece because most customers don't, or most car buyers don't get that loan beforehand. That's where we come in, right? So somebody could go to Edmunds, learn all about their options to buy a car, figure out the pricing, and then use us to figure out the, the, the financing piece. The reason that the Edmundses of the world don't do what we're doing is because they're paid by the dealer, right? Mm-hmm. So they are, they're sort of funneling you into that indirect uh, method of payment versus the direct. But so could you could you go get a fixed price on a car through the Edmonds and then come to you? That oh, would yeah, seem like sure. the best of both worlds. For sure. Yeah. So like when I went to buy my last car, I actually didn't use TrueCar. I just told them I wanted the TrueCar price, which is the, the whole in TrueCar's model, frankly, is that you can go to any of these sites, get the price you should pay, go to a dealership and say, I want that, right? And then use whatever financing you want. And so your your revenue model then? Yeah, so we are paid by our lender partners per funded loan. So for them, it's like we're a marketing channel, right? They don't have a means necessarily of reaching car buying customers. And we give them customers who are not only really educated, who are, you know, we think less likely to default, but we've filtered them. So we have a sophisticated back-end decision engine that's doing the matching between the customer, their credit profile, the vehicle they're buying, and then the lender's uh, credit criteria, what they're looking for. And if you've got awesome credit, right, Rates don't vary very much. You know, it's 2%, 3%, right? When you're talking about somebody with less than prime credit, rates can hugely vary. It could be 8%, it could be 18%. And it's just the way that the lender's uh, credit criteria works, how much value they put on certain things. So if you're a, a buyer without that great credit, it's awesome for you to have a platform model to look and say, oh my gosh, you know, I could do so much better here. Because even if you've got a credit union you like, uh, you know, oftentimes they may only have one not so great rate for you, or you might not be approved. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, I, I bought a car off a lot two years ago. It was like the first time I had, I had done that. So it was 2017. I bought a 2017. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be a USAA customer. Oh, so they've got a great experience. So they've yeah. got a great experience. Yes, absolutely. Um, I love USAA. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because I do a lot of work with financial institutions, uh, insurance companies, banking companies. And whenever I say I'm a USAA customer, they just go kind of roll their eyes go like, no, can't compete against right, that. Right, exactly. You win. Um, but so if you can provide uh, buyers with a, you know, sort of a similar experience because of, uh, you know, I think that's great. And it's, uh, yeah, it's good, important work. What is actually. USAA? So it's a it's a, uh, a bank, uh, an insurance company out of Texas. Um, they primarily serve uh, military and the descendants of military personnel. So they have a very specific market segment where I, I presume their actuarial, actuarial tables and all the rest show that they can make more money because they're better customers long-term compared to uh, you know serving anybody. Um, so they have extraordinary customer service and their rates are always the best and, and sort of all of these other Actually, other the, the um, you know my Prius that got totaled and uh, basically, the Prius saved my life because I was I t- sent you the photos. Yeah, right? no, it was, yeah, it was crazy, horrific. Um, the other guy was a USAA guy. He was in Navy uniform. So I have had fielded seven or eight phone calls from USAA. And how did those go? No, they were super friendly oh, slash good, I'm good. super afraid of them, <laughs> only because I'm wondering why are they calling me like this, like. What what is the answer that I'm giving them or not giving them that's ticking off some box so that I can somehow be? Were they calling you from inside the house? 
<laughs> was it your fault? Is that no, no. no. We were <laughs> we're just looking through your drawers and we're not finding your ID card. <laughs> is the um is the idea behind your startup then is it is it car financing or can it be extrapolated to anything financing? I mean, theoretically, we could grow into other types of financing. I think car financing in particular is, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's the worst of any of these, right? Um, and a huge market. I mean, huge, huge. It's $70 billion auto financing market. Uh, you know, huge transaction, really important in people's lives. The average person makes six car purchases in their lives. Most people don't even know they can refinance. So that's another opportunity, right? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for growth within auto finance. There are other pockets that are sort of more adjacent, like motorcycle financing has its own areas, although that tends not to be somebody's primary vehicle. So it, it tends to be more of a discretionary buy. Um, RV financing, I think, is completely screwed up, but I don't know very much about that. But again, it's it's not typically your primary vehicle. So when I bought this said Prius... <laughs> and you bought it, you didn't lease I it. I bought it a couple of years back in my, my wife's car. Um, they gave me a 0% APR loan. So then you can't have terribly bad credit. Or maybe back then you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sonia. Yeah. Well, starting companies, have, you know, it gets, it's a roller coaster, things, right? Things have changed. Yeah. Things have changed. Yeah, I know. I, I get it. Okay, so was that because of credit, the 0%? So the 0% is something called subvented financing or subsidized financing. So Toyota says, we want to sell more Toyotas. And so Toyota Financial Services will basically subsidize the rate. So that's why you see those teaser rates of the 0%. If you've got excellent credit or close to excellent credit, you know, Toyota really wants to incentivize you and this is their means of doing that. That's why, you know, at Outside Financial, my view is I want to help you be a better car buyer and owner. And if you can get that 0% rate, I can't match that, right? But I still want you to understand when you go to the back office, should you have purchased Gap, right? Like maybe now you're about to pay off this, you know, you owed a huge amount on your loan, your car wasn't worth that much. The insurance is going to pay you back what it was worth. There's going to be a big gap. So maybe gap would have been a good product for you if you could get it at the right price, right? Two, yeah. two or three years ago, you would not have been in her target market, but you clearly are now with your credit situation. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> wow. Can I, can I ask, is this something that anybody can walk into any dealership and actually do? Or can, could the dealer be like, no, thanks, sorry, you have to finance through us or we're not selling you a car? Yeah, so dealers shouldn't do that and what you should do at that point is say goodbye because there's 10,000 dealerships in the United States right, and yeah. there's no reason you should put up with that you know, there's no there's no requirement that you take dealer financing um so yes theoretically it should work anywhere I think there's a there's different kinds of dealerships right so there's dealers that are super super sophisticated the average kind of overall that a dealer makes on a markup is $1,800 on a new car loan right it's actually more for used it's more if you've got less than great credit the ones that are like the super sophisticated, um, the CarMax, Lithia, Penske, like the public auto dealerships, they're making way more than that for the average financing piece, right? There you're more likely to get a salesperson who's like, you know, and it's usually, sometimes it's this sort of like, I won't take it. More often it's like, oh, I can match that. And then by match it, they mean they can match the monthly payment, but they're going to extend your term from 60 mm. months to 84, right? So it used to be 60 months was the average car loan term. Now we're closer to 72. Yeah, I was going to Creeping up and up that. and up. Yeah. It's crazy. It's great financial engineering, right? Because folks focus so much on that monthly payment. Or they'll say, oh, I'll match it. But then that's when they add in the, the gap in the vehicle service contract and the tire and wheel and on and on and on. Because it's only $10 a month to right. protect yourself. And don't you want to protect your, this big vehicle you just bought? 
Um, and then there are some dealers at the other end who are really happy to sell a car, right? Because that's what they're in the business to do. And, and the financing is a means to do that. And so for folks without great credit, sometimes it's a struggle for them to match those customers with the right lender if they don't have a big network of lenders. So for them, it's like, great, I don't have to go have you chase down your W-2s and your references, which happens for folks without great credit. So it, it's uh, some variation there. Is that then when you hand off the process as you've matched them with the lender and then th that all happens outside of your platform? That's right. So the way that it works right now is we hand them off to the lender and the lender does that final paperwork piece. I think you know, we that, just launched, oh, sorry, go ahead. And then when that's done, you get your, your, your payment. My reward, yeah. Right. We just launched six months ago, though. So I think in terms of where we want to grow next, it's doing more of that operational piece just so we can keep that customer connection longer and ensure that the, you know, we are getting the paperwork from our customer and that they're having that excellent customer experience all the way through. And when someone <clears throat> works with you, are they getting like pre-approved for a certain amount or do they have to go negotiate and go, I know exactly what car I'm going to buy. Here's the price it's going to be and then get you involved. What's the process? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically you are pre-approved for a certain amount and we ask for information about the vehicle, but it doesn't have to be a specific mm -hmm. VIN. Now, if you know a specific VIN, that's great because what the, the weird secret of car buying is that it incentives can vary at the VIN level. So these two cars look to me identical, right? You know, they're both 2018 Priuses and they're both silver, but because one has been on the lot for two months longer, uh, that one actually has an incentive attached and it could be a lot cheaper, right? And it's really hard to know. Sometimes even at the dealer level, your dealer salesperson doesn't really know what the difference between the two is. So if you have the specific VIN, that makes it a lot easier. But if you're if you're a smart shopper and you're just saying, hey, what can I actually afford to buy? And I'm going to let that be my factor. We can You get pre-approved for a certain amount with some exclusions, right? So most lenders don't want to cover Hummers. They don't want to cover exotic vehicles. Can I? I'm going to go on a side tangent here Do for a it. second. I just Do want it. an opinion. Yeah. Does anyone else feel like car salespeople just don't know anything anymore? <laughs> like I went when we bought my wife's car most recently. I walked in there and we're asking. It was at the Jeep dealership, and we're asking the guy about these different features and whatever. And I have just done a little bit of research on the internet, and I know like ten thousand percent more than this guy does about the cars he's selling. And I keep hearing this from people. It's just it's totally because weird, there's but... a the, the average tenure of a car salesperson, particularly that front end guy, is yeah. like a year. Okay. Right, they're in yeah. and out. He might have been last week at the Toyota, so Got he it. might have tell okay. you about Priuses, right? Yeah. So yes, that's true. It's also that cars now are, you know, they're technology on wheels, right? Yeah. They've got so many features, and the manufacturers keep rolling out new things. And so yes, a good salesperson will be up on the latest yeah. and greatest. But I think you're totally right. It was just shocking to me. I, I think it's kind of like just a trend away. in all products, though. I mean, it actually, not to go back to our last conversation, but I mean, last the whole, week. yeah, last week. right. I didn't say. Yeah. I, I can barely remember it. It was so long ago. But, but refresh us. Who was here again? Yeah, I, I don't even know. Yeah, okay. But so the the idea that that customers are more agile than businesses are now because the customer actually gets to make choices. They have more information. They understand reputations of the dealers and of the cars. They understand they can do so much more research online. It's absolutely, I think, impossible for the sales guy to to be able to keep up on that kind of stuff. And it's actually what makes the responsibility for the car companies and the dealerships, they actually have to change the way they work because we're going in there with so much more information mm -hmm. than we already have. Mm -hmm. But it's still crazy with all of the information I had when I went out there, the amount of inside information, Sonia, that you know about and that the, the level of domain expertise you need to have to understand what's actually going on at these lots is 
mind-blowing. Right. So the, the salespeople may not know about your actual car, but they sure know an awful lot about how to take your money. But <laughs> I will say it, the, the reinforcing trend that's nice for us is if you find you're doing more information, your research online, because you're actually getting answers to your questions online, you're looking at reviews, right? That's great for us because then the more we're taking you out of the dealership and the average number of dealerships people visit the time they're spending at the dealership just keeps going down. Because right. why go to mm. why waste my mm. Saturday totally. talking to this sleazy guy in the suit when I can do all that, you know, Thursday night on my couch, you know, there's a I'm watching something on TV or Netflix yeah. and chilling. I'm researching online. Right. It's great. And that's great for our business. And how do you guys tie in with those types of services like Carvana and some of those where it's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go select something online and they bring it to my house and that's it. I'm a huge fan of Carvana. Um, so they're actually a partner of ours, but even if they weren't, a, you know, the reason they're a partner of ours is because I'm a huge fan of their customer service. Yeah. So yeah, again, it's great. Unfortunately, we have dealer franchise laws in this country that prevent kind of direct sales, right? So you can't buy a new car online unless you're Tesla and you try to get around it or just get sued. But Carvana has these great, and I don't know, are you, do you know Carvana? No. So Carvana is this company, they, they operate, um, our vending machines is the the coolest marketing gimmick. They're here in San Diego. Uh, they actually started in Arizona, and they are used cars, but like sort of gently used. So in order to be a Carvana car, you've got to get through their rigorous inspection process. You click, you find your car online, you buy it, they ship it to your house, and then you've got seven days to try it out. And if you want to return it, you can, no questions asked. I think there's another one, uh, like Vroom is a kind of yep. competitor, I believe, the same kind of thing. That kind of thing. But Carvana has a lot. So Carvana is a public company. Yeah, they're way bigger. So they're they're way bigger than established. So I could go tonight and click a couple buttons. Yeah. And I'll have a car. You sure can. Last time I did that was with my other car. (laughs) You can do it again. You have to have pretty good credit. (laughs) No, no, actually, you don't. Speaking of. So Carvana takes all credits. They will. What typically happens, though, if you've got poor credit on Carvana, uh, is that you will put a way bigger down payment. So they'll, That's you'll get your car, but you've got to have a lot of cash. Speaking of bad credit <laughs> and people who don't know what they're selling, um, I went to the 7-Eleven the other day, and I tried to buy my uh, Flaming Hot Limon Cheetos on, with my Apple Watch. And so I was trying to get the thing to click. Clearly, the, thi- the, the, the POS could take my Apple Watch, but it kept on canceling the transaction. And I, t- I naively. <laughs> I'm wondering, is this the? I'm waiting for the connection here. I'm empty. I again. was looking at. I'm the wondering if this isn't the sign of the apocalypse. Right. <laughs> I'm detecting a pattern here. You know? trying to buy <laughs> something Cheetos with my <laughs> Apple, Apple Watch. <laughs> 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 uh, and so when this transaction wouldn't go through, um, I turned to this person behind the teller and I was like, "What should I do next?" And the guy was like, I don't know. Were you wearing Why would your- he know? He's like, I don't know, bro. No, Give but me I'm some like, cash. Hey, I mean, I want you to help me purchase this stuff from you. Was he like Does an Apple genius guy or was he no, a 7-Eleven yeah, clerk? Right, he was exactly. a 7-Eleven yeah. clerk, but I just telling you that I was looking to him to help me do this purchase and he didn't give a shit. He right. was like, I don't, I don't know what you need to do. I'm like, well. Does your Apple Watch measure your cholesterol? <laughs> Speaking of churn, right? There's more churn at the guy behind the counter in 7-Eleven than there is the, the guy in a lot at the true. car dealership. So I'm just saying, you know, the trend of salespeople not yeah. knowing what, why they're there and what they're doing. That's why we're and replacing it, with robots. And then I gave right. him my debit exactly. card. I gave him my debit card. And, and I felt like I was a really, really old 
delusional human. Is this 7-Eleven clerk actually a salesperson? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Come on, man. I don't they're think representing they have a the 7-Eleven brand, you know? Program. I tried to tell this person, here is my debit card. Can you just make this fucking happen? <laughs> I want my fucking Cheetos or whatever. I want them now. Don't they, have the little, they have the box, though. You got to put your debit no, card so in and press want, the button. But yeah. when I put the thing in the box, it kept on wanting to cancel the transaction. So, so the anyways, phone didn't work. That didn't work. It sounds like it might have been your issue. It was issue, three man. in the yeah, morning. Right. It was three in the morning. Were, were, they, uh, just, were they just celebrating your 62nd birthday? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, saying that even at the level of 7-Eleven, I was expecting just a teeny tiny bit of like, oh, yes, let me just help. Sometimes I'll put the card some in some for empathy, you and help maybe. you. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, a right. little bit of empathy. Anyways, I feel a lot better now. Thank you. Glad we could help you work through that. That was a great story. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you for sharing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of good stories, weren't you going to tell a story uh, earlier about Etienne that he was very shamelessly trying to plug? Oh, for? absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I'm a part of a. No, I'm just time. saying, you know, I don't know. Oh, that was a great segue. Okay. I'm the, uh, in the cohort at Ad Astra, which is a San Diego oh, awesome. based accelerator program for female entrepreneurs. And we did a mentor mixer last night for kind of supporters. Which I wasn't invited to. I don't think well, I was invited to it either. You're not, you're not a mentor, apparently. Yeah. I'm not a mentor. No, well, you should be getting involved. I mentored be a mentor. in the past. I guess I did Ad a horrible Astra? job. Yeah. I got kicked out. Oh, uh, maybe they didn't invite you back. That's right. Not good advice. Um, <laughs> and I was sharing some of the challenges I have as a non tech founder and communicating with my uh, brilliant engineer, who is not the on the business side, right? And just bridging that gap and making sure that we understand each other. And so as I was explaining this to the group of folks, the mentors, they all suggested in unanimity that I reach out to Etienne and and have him help me um, bridge that gap and make that communication stronger. Mind blown. So I'm in the presence of a legend. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Can't can't uh, complete a transaction at 7-Eleven, but he can help in many (laughs) other ways. We all have our skills, right? Yeah, exactly. It's really, really embarrassing. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you a little bit about your company makeup um, in terms of, so you have a CTO. Yep. How are you guys doing your development, your product management, and, and all of that? Yeah, sure. So we have, in terms of the tech team, the full-time is the CTO, and then he works with our front-end developer, both are full-time. Uh, is, was, is that also your co-founder, the, the CTO? or I, I, you I guess he's, he's of co-founder status. I also have a co-founder, John um, who's more on the business side as well. And is John the person you referred to earlier? Who yes, John is. Yeah, he had the, the vision for the company. So um, Chris and Jeff, Chris is the CTO, Jeff's the front-end developer. They've been on the team for two years, um, and they have architected everything, back-end, front-end. Chris is totally full stack. And we've used other tech help kind of as needed. So we've used a team here in San Diego when we were doing a big push on our apply flow, You know, get information about customers so we can match them. Um, we've used kind of teams in remote places, you know, again, like spec help, getting stuff done. We've used Upwork to find developers to help out on a project basis, but really the core of the team is Chris and Jeff. And the, uh, and Chris sounds like he's coding still. Yes. Chris is doing the coding. And how did you find Chris? I think on AngelList. Um, he had actually worked previously. He was the tech lead at a company called VinAdvisor that is also in the auto space. And so we thought it was pretty neat that he understood a little bit about auto, um, and he has been in startups, tech startups, for about 20 years, uh, has a lot of patents, has done work for the U.S. government. So just really, really smart, great coder. And it's, I think, rare to find somebody who has totally full-stack experience, mm-hmm. can really do front-end, back-end, everything. The only thing I, I know he can't do is IT, 
which as a non-tech person, I keep thinking he could fix my IT problems, yes. and he and he continues oh, he, like, Sonia, no, 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 that's not what I do. He it's can't. Like, he just won't do it. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how this stuff works, man. Sorry, I, I, I can't do it. Sorry. Your computer won't start. I can't help with that. I, I can't know. get my printer yeah, to print. No, I'm weird. I can't either. I don't know. That's but you are sitting with two other. You guys brilliant... have Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are sitting with two other very, very accomplished full-stack engineers. Oh, very types. nice. Well, you weren't on the market two years ago. I'm a former IT manager. Oh, you actually would be useful. I did not Next know Next time that. my computer won't start. Whoa. You would be useful. I'm actually one of those classic, I was one of those classic IT guys, though, that had a really horrible bedside manner. <laughs> yeah. Like, whenever you walk over, the computer works fine, and you just kind of roll your eyes yeah. and walk away. Oh, wait, are you one of those people that's like, did you try restarting it? <laughs> yes, I tried restarting it. Of course I did. Oh, man. Actually, when my wife restarts her computer that i feel like the lights dim as the machine is trying to close all her browser windows oh is she one of those oh, like man. 300 browser window people i can't stand my that. wife says that too and on her phone she'll have like 150 oh, browser windows on her phone why, and why is my phone my mother, slow? So slow. Like, my mother does that and my little here? brother will always take her phone and then forcibly like show her how to shut that yeah but we, so we repeat funny. the demo every time but then so you have the funny. other extreme of people who keep on killing apps because they think there should only be oh, one right. or two apps in the yeah. background like cleanliness. This is some people who are just constantly cl killing apps. Yeah, that's a problem. So, uh, who does sort of the product management on your on your end? Is it you or? Hence, why we had the conversation about communication. Um, I've done some of the product management, and because I am not a product manager by training, it's been a huge learning curve. So when we first started, we weren't using Jira or really anything, and it was kind of like, "Hey, Chris, wouldn't it be great if?" Right? And then about a thousand of those ideas later, you know not a great means to communicate so and Chris was sort of nice about like hey shouldn't we use Jira shouldn't we use Jira and I was like oh whatever we'll use an Excel spreadsheet we use Jira now uh, we use Slack I'm getting better at using these things but you know we hired when we hired the tech team in December they were helping us with QA and so I thought I was doing this great job creating tickets when I noticed a bug and I'm looking at the QA person's tickets and it was like light bulb moment for me of, you know she says here's how i got to the bug right here's the steps i took here's what the bug looks like here's what it is right and it was like oh that's what they actually need right because me just saying it doesn't work <laughs> not super useful yeah. uh so you know i i i'm not there 100 percent, but i think we've gotten a lot better steps to reproduce yeah very important so, uh, uh, so you're not in California yet. So, is that do you have to go get regulatory approval or all these other type of things, or is it really based upon lenders that you're working with? No, it's a great question. It is really regulatory approval. Right. So, in each state, there are a number of types of laws that could matter. So, certain states have requirements around what are called credit services organizations. So, I can't help. You. Etienne has poor credit. I actually can't help Which we've him. Established. We've established right. I, we can't have a show in which I say, Etienne, let's talk about your credit. I'm going to help you out because I'm not licensed as a credit services organization. Now, we don't do that as a company. We're very careful about it, which can be kind of frustrating, right? Because somebody comes in, they don't have good enough credit to get a loan. It's like, sorry, I can't help you other than this sort of generic high-level advice. But certain states have that requirement. So I've got to be sort of aware of what those look like. In other states, you know, clearly we're not an auto dealer, but some states kind of write their laws so broadly that you know anything touching the auto business, we have to be careful about. So it's for each of the states we're in, we have a we think we have a good understanding of all of the different regulatory issues that are potentially there. Other states, it's like Texas is a great example. They are right now in the Texas legislature trying to figure out how do you regulate what looks kind of like a broker to them, right? Where we're taking a customer and mashing them with a lender. They don't 
really have any laws that sort of touch that. And they're trying to say, well, do our existing laws about lenders cover those people? Do we need to create a new set of laws for these kinds of companies? And so we're sort of waiting and seeing. When they resolve it, then we could figure out, you know, do we need the license? Do we go after that? Do we not need the license? You know, some states like California take the approach of you have to be regulated no matter what you do. And so as a six-month-old startup, my feeling is, look, we need a little bit of wiggle room, right? If we take on a little bit more of the ops, if we move in a slightly different direction, I want to make sure that the regulation fits what we're doing and that we don't you know, prevent ourselves from growing because of regulation. Do you feel um, that you're getting a lot of like opposition from the dealer lobby kind of fighting against this, or have you come up against any of that? Not yet. I mean, we're still too small. Yeah, so I okay. think the, the interesting one is like TrueCar is a great story, right? So TrueCar came out as like, your dealer is screwing you, and they had this huge marketing budget, and, like told everybody in the world, did you know that like, you're, you know, you paid $2,000 for your car, you paid 4000 you know, you're a sucker, right? Yeah. right? Uh, and people didn't know it at the time when, when True Car came out. And so they pissed off dealers so much that in virtually every state, dealers have this hugely powerful lobby. And so they went after them at the regulatory level, and they went after them in the courts. And there's still lawsuits pending against True Car. In fact, one just kind of went forward. These things take a lot of time, right? And so True Car ended up in basically a death spiral because they're, they were actually getting paid by the dealer. Now, we're not paid by the dealer, so that gives us, I think, a little bit more freedom. Um, but the... CEO Ooh. of TrueCar got axed. They had to rebrand themselves essentially, and now they are really just lead generators for the dealer. They're no longer really about the consumer at all. Wow. Um, and so for me, it's sort of this object lesson and be careful what we take on yeah. too soon and how we say certain things, because even if we want to be more the, controversial. The, the very thing that they, they were biting the hand that fed them. Exactly. So uh, as you're navigating your product market fit and your growth, you have this challenge of, do we pick a state and try and grow in that market, or do we grow by expanding our market? I think what's interesting is is that the the regulations, even those that you know Uber and Airbnb are disrupting, were often put in place in order to protect consumers. They've now been often co-opted by those industries, and so we actually a lot of those we we want those regulations looked at again. And the same thing with the you know the the car dealerships and, and, you know, the Tesla battles and the direct. I mean, I think we all want to buy direct if we can. Right? Well, but those were never put in place for consumers. No. The reason okay. that dealer franchise laws are in place is actually to protect dealers. So it used to be that Henry Ford and the sort of unscrupulous manufacturers would, you know, push down the neck of the dealers, right? So during the Great Depression, Henry Ford and some of the other companies were like, okay, well, nobody's buying cars, but you dealers need to buy cars anyway. We're going to require you to do that. And so in a lot of states, you got dealer franchise laws that protected those dealers against the big, bad manufacturers. So I completely agree with you with where we are now. I just The one tweak is that most of the laws are really put in place by industry because they do have very powerful lobbies at the state level, and they're the well, ones who care. It's interesting that maybe put it more accurately, they were, they were protecting businesses versus the monopolies. Yes. And we're still sort of back into that equation where where the it's just the dealerships are often acting more like the monopolies. And you see it even worse in uh in farm equipment. And uh so if you if you're trying to buy a tractor, there's one dealer, there's one John Deere dealer in like some crazy geographical area. And so there's essentially a monopoly there. And uh and so the, they even regulate that the farmers can't 
go in and change the software, which is now on all of these tractors themselves. They have to bring it to the dealers. They're charging all these. Yeah, it's crazy amounts of money. And so they're using actually the software licensing tools that we all talk about. We're using that sort of license in the tractors. So yeah, it's it's kind of insane. And 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 so again, it's sort of we have to look at the modern era and and the fact that we can use software now that benefits the the consumer versus you know sort of what these monopolies are. And so hopefully, to me, the the Carvanas of the world eventually get to do new cars as well. And I think that that great for your business as well and and uh and and you know creates value for the for the end user which is what we all should be focused on no it really does i mean most of the academic studies show that consumers would actually save a lot of money and it would obviously on the other side it would be a much better experience right that you don't have to go to that dealership you're on your time you get to decide what you want i don't know that you should buy a car tonight you know not thinking i think it's a considered purchase right so I always sort of want people to like think about it pretty deeply before they press go. But yes, I think that convenience is really important. You get seven days to try it out, though. I mean, I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, you have a road trip plan? Drive to Las Vegas. Uh, but we are struggling right now uh, because um, this is going to sound very sad, but we are trying to refinance our home so we can get a construction loan so, because we're trying to build my parents a granny flat. Oh, that's cool. And so, but the car crash happened about six, seven weeks ago. And the people I'm working with were like, please don't do any purchases right now because we don't want to dick around with the process. Yeah. 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 So, and we live out in Alpine, and my wife and I are both entrepreneur professionals. And so, it's been an interesting problem. So, I would say that for most of our customers, the real reason that they're coming to our site is because they're overwhelmed. There's so much going on in their lives. You know, for me, Car buying is the most important thing you could possibly do. Uh, but it's one piece of your financial puzzle. And so I think what we hear from customers is we just want one place to go. Yeah, I could go to Edmonds. I could go to TrueCar. I could go to KBB. I could go to my bank. But, like, I just need one person I trust it is interesting. to get it done. I, I, I relate to that. I think one of the reasons we haven't done this purchase yet is because apart from all the personal choices around leasing, you know, new, used, there's then the – you know, dealing with the dealerships, figuring out the financing, and then, you know, arduously going through the different options. So that is definitely a, 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 a hopeful sort of picture. Is Now, why did you call it outside financial? Because we are outside the dealership. But and we also love the mental image of, you know, you're sitting in that back office, which has no windows, no yeah. air, it's stale, you're hungry, you're tired. All you want to do is sign anything to get out, right? We're, we're bringing the light to this business. I bought my last two cars like that. I said to the guy, listen, I'll pay you this amount. I want to be out of here in 40 minutes, tops. And how'd it go? Oh, both, both times. Nailed it. Actually, Toyota was super impressive. I mean, they, the 0%, the, when we bought this Prius, it, just, it was like probably 20 minutes. Nice. Well, uh, are you guys in a regulated environment? With uh, the commercial real estate? Actually, surprisingly, it's pretty unregulated um, compared to residential. So I'm, I'm obviously new to the space. I'm learning a lot about it. But, but what I understand so far is that there's, there's very little in place. I mean, you have to have broker licenses to do certain things the same as you do um, with residential. But there's much, much, much less regulation in the transaction. That makes sense, though. You know, you're not, you, there's not a consumer to protect. Right, exactly. It's not like someone who doesn't, you know, 
buy homes all the time. You make one purchase, maybe a couple in your life. Yeah. Whereas if you're dealing with commercial real estate, you're trading these assets constantly, and, and that's kind of like people's business most of the time. Um, unless it's someone you know doing a 1031 swap or something, and they're like, I just want, I need a gas station to, to not, you know, to reduce my tax burden or whatever it is. But mostly it's. Yeah, but if you need that, then you're also pretty sophisticated, I would think. I think it's for like doctor, lawyer, kind of high net worth individuals, but you know they don't necessarily do that all the time. So there is that component, but mm -hmm. the vast majority of people, it's their business. Right. Any questions? Uh, what um, on average um, would you say that you save people? Like what's the typical amount that you guys do better versus when they go through the dealer? So our tagline is you're saving $1,000 you didn't know you were going to spend. That's awesome. Mm. But then in a refinance, it's like usually over $50 a month and then two-point reduction on the interest rate. Great. Yeah. It's really cool. It's just a, a shame that most people don't realize that they have that option or even think to do it. But it's part of it kind of comes back to the overwhelming amounts of information when it gets to the financial stuff. They probably feel intimidated already yes. anyway, and yep. so now I have to go and fill out my loan calculator. How much more am I paying? Get me out of here. Get me my car. Yeah, I've got exactly. to get to work tomorrow. Totally. Right, and most people, so I'm, I'm an attorney, right? I love contracts. You know, I'm the, the person that sits at the car dealer and reads literally every line, and you the dealer's just like, what is stuff? wrong with you? Well, you, you have to know what you're signing, right? But other than lawyers, and even lawyers, I don't know that many people that want to do that, right? Yeah. So it's just like literally, and actually my last dealer was like sort of like here, here, and here, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, no, we, do, we don't go that fast. <laughs> I can't read that fast. Do you read terms of service as well um, when you sign up well, for a... The Facebook? Yeah, Actually, I was just going to ask the One same of question. my law school professors did a study of this to see like how many people read it. The problem is what's called those contracts of adhesion, right? Like You have no choice. If I want to participate, mm -hmm. if I want to download the app, I have to sign it. There's no reason to, to read it, essentially, at that point, right? You you could sign away your life. You just have to decide, is it worth it for you know this app that I'm downloading? So in that case, it's you know I usually will skim it to see if there's any pertinent terms. Sometimes it's like you want to opt out of a privacy thing. I've often thought about that as a startup idea is a, something that will read those things for you. And Summarize it. For you you, the you copy person. and paste it into this tool and it'll just give you the two, three, two things you need to know about this, what it's actually doing. Right, but what's the desired outcome? You're still gonna, you're gonna agree yeah. to it. Right, exactly, yeah. Why would I pick it's, that? It's the Rumpelstiltskin contract. Yeah, exactly. It's like, exactly. oh, I didn't know I had to give up my firstborn. Mm. I wonder if I can challenge that. Things, but I really or, like Facebook, so I don't care. <laughs> but are those things, they Their can't kids say. kids are loud, you know. Yeah, exactly. They can't say something ridiculous in there, right? Like, I mean, they, you they agree can. to. They, they can, but you would, you would have to, you, you might win in litigation. Yeah. Right, exactly. Or actually arbitration, most okay. likely, for Arbitra any of those. Exactly right. Yeah. right. yeah, right. Yeah. I love it. Has being an attorney, how has it helped you be the CEO of this company? Being an attorney, so I'm because I'm in a highly regulated space. It is absolutely critical to understand the how the what the legal implications are. Um, it's also the best way to win an argument because if somebody wants to say something and I don't like it, I just say we can't say that for legal reasons. Doesn't matter what it is, you know. No, no, no. Sorry, you can't use that marketing language. Lawyer says no. Um, so it's great. No, and it's also it's because we're dealing with. Uh, I'm going to use that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm stealing that. Actually, <laughs> are you both attorneys? No, no. but I'm going to say oh, I am. <laughs> I'm going to say I am. Though. I'd be like, sorry. I talked my to my attorney lawyer said we can't and, do uh, that. Sorry, yeah, this exactly. is I, I won't. I won't claim that I'm the one that came up with the rationale, but I. Uh, <laughs> it's also we're working with lenders, and so if you want to talk about a highly regulated industry, right? If you're talking about any kind of lender. 
they've got a regulator literally sitting there with them. And so I think it's helpful to them that we're aware of these issues because there's a lot of fintechs that you know spring up in California because that's where they're located. And they don't pay any attention to the California regulators until it's too late. Mm. And so I think kind of starting with the mentality of, okay, we're, we're only going to be in places where we understand the regulation. We're only going to do the things that make sense in that way is really, really helpful. It becomes a barrier to entry as well. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that it's super complex and that you can work your way through it, uh, you know, somebody else that follows actually has to also go through all of those steps. There's no, mm. there's no you know, short, shortcutting. There. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of people wouldn't want to take it on, right? Because it is complex, and you know, even just within the auto financing, understanding all the implications and what's going on is complex. By the way, another great way to win an argument against your co-founders or your business partners is to say, uh, "I have been advised mm-hmm. that we should consider more, that I should consider more options, or my advisors have." So, you Et- Etienne told me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My wise CTO that has mentor. been yeah. so powerful when we went through our shit show at our one company. We just, all three of us started using that on each other. That's <laughs> uh, I, 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 I like this, but my advisors. <laughs> I, I love the idea, but unfortunately, our attorney said no. So I, I think that, <laughs> telling yeah, you, that's it's you gonna work. Wins yeah. every argument. Okay, well, work. Sonia, this was amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was fun. Robert, absolutely. Bront, yeah, thank you. good conversation. Thank yeah, you. happy to be here. Cheers. Yeah, and happy to help anybody with car buying. Just reach out. I awesome. think we're gonna we're gonna add your information and and get people in touch with you. So thank Sounds you. awesome. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to the CTOstudio.com. For more information on what we're doing at 7CTOs, we also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.